Welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. Joining me this week, of course, Stephen Schleicher. Hello, Zach. Hey, Stephen. So we're back. We're wrapping up the something of 69 yeah, this we week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last week we talked a little about Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. And this week we're going to jump back into um, a pretty well-known Western, I'm mm-hmm. guessing. I mean, I've Some people say of, it's their favorite Western. Yeah, that's it's, it, it was interesting reading after I watched this film. It seems like people have kind of differing opinions on how great this mm-hmm. movie is. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've watched a movie... Uh, by the director, of course. Yes, yeah, Sergio uh, Leone. Sergio Leone. We watched The Good, the Bad, and Ugly, mm-hmm. which was um, the, what is the trilogy name? Man What's, With No Name. Man With No Name mm-hmm. with uh, Clint Eastwood. Right. We watched that, which came out two years before. Right. Uh, um, gosh dang it, Once Upon a Time in the West. Right. And yeah, so, so I was pretty he was, I mean, excited. Um, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly was so popular. He basically yeah. had his choice to do anything he wanted. And he wanted to go and do, if I'm not mistaken, he wanted to do Once Upon a Time in America, which he eventually did. Mm-hmm. But I guess uh, the money people were just throwing buckets of dough at him and was just like, do another Western, do another Western. And so he had this idea kicking around. And so he and this other guy uh, wrote it up. And it's uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah. So what we have again is kind of like The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which is this. Uh, I would guess, say, an epic-level Western tale. Um, I mean, just in time. It stretches two hours and 55 minutes. Not the longest film we've watched on Zach on Film. There's about three others that are longer, uh, like Ben-Hur. Oh, what else did we... The Uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia is is the longest. It's the longest movie, I think, Uh, ever. That uh, Terrence Malick movie. I, that movie's actually not that long. It just, oh, it just feels, feels su- long. it just feels okay. super long. It's really not that long. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's 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 a a movie of pretty big scope in a sense. I it think is. compared to some things we've watched in the in this little chunk of mm-hmm. mainly westerns that we've watched, and so it was. I think it was a good one to end on because I think theme wise it hit upon a lot of what we've seen in 69, which I continue mm-hmm. to find very fascinating because Once Upon a Time in the West still hits on that theme of the Cowboys are done. Like, we're transitioning. Yeah. We're getting run out. Right. There's railroads. There's all these money people. Mm-hmm. Having a gun doesn't really make you the most powerful person anymore. Well, I mean... In, in this movie, it kind of does, but right. they all acknowledge our time yeah. is done. It's just money now. That's, that's what I like about this. You know, it's it's like... It could just be once upon a time, dot, 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 right? Because, yeah. you know, that's how all fairy tales start. So this is when we're looking at, uh, when we're looking at all these four Westerns that we kind of looked at this mm-hmm. year, unintentional Westerns, yeah. even with um, Midnight Cowboy and Easy Rider. Um, this is, this is by far the most, well, maybe not the most romanticized, uh, but is the most, as you said, epic tale mm-hmm. of what people think the West is about. And in this case, it is about... Um, land ownership and the railroad coming through and um, whoever has the land, especially in this one place, as we reveal at the end, where there's water, this is the place where the train's coming through. And there was someone forward thinking enough to buy all the land in the area so that when the railroad comes through, he's going to build this huge city and it's going to be this big space, Mm -hmm. a a sweet water. And um, he's going to be rich. He's going to be a rich landowner, a rich city founder and all this stuff. And so it's a brilliant idea but along the way, he uh, the the landowners facing all these obstacles because he has to have his town built before the railroad gets there. Right, that's one of the provisions for him to have gotten the land. And of course, um, the railroad people don't like that, and they want the land for themselves so that they can claim this this watering hole. And so they've got uh, some evil hired guns out to kill the landowner, mm-hmm. and in return, the landowner also hires his own uh, gun. To come and protect him. Now, unfortunately, the way this movie starts is the landowner dies in the first, you know, 20 minutes of the so film. So fast. <laughs> which means that uh, not only that, but we kill the children, too, which mm-hmm. was very shocking, right? Yeah. And um, and then, lo and behold, a, a woman shows up who had married this landowner, and now she's in charge of this. She owns this big scrub patch of essentially desert. Right. And the uh, and the uh, gunslinger shows up to protect the home. And then we find out there's all these other bad guys that are involved, these other um, uh, highwaymen, these robbers. And they all kind of decide to work together to 
get to the epic conclusion mm-hmm. and defeat the railroad and and uh, his cronies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is a really good, like really condensed description yeah, oh, yeah. of what this movie is. Right, because right. But if you take out all the big, big long pause parts in this, yeah, movie, yeah. that's about how long the movie runs. Yeah, that's the interesting thing is it is a movie, and I guess I probably forgot from. The good, the bad, and ugly, because we watched mm-hmm. that so long ago. Mm-hmm. That Leone is not afraid of drawing out every minute oh, yeah. action. I mean, the begin, the opening sequence. I, I think it's like ten minutes or something. Five, it's incredibly minutes. long. It is really long. So we open up on this very dusty train station. I mean, it's desolate. It's in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, the building doesn't have walls or, or even really <laughs> yeah. a roof. And there's this old timer guy doing tickets, and these three guys show up in their dusters and their cowboy hats, and they. You can tell they're waiting for something or for somebody, mm-hmm. and they spread out across the the train um, platform, which is really long for this train station very long. No, nowhere. But you know they're waiting, and there's a windmill that's just creaking, 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 and one of the gunslingers is sitting underneath the uh, water tower, and suddenly it starts dripping on his head, and the fly is buzzing, is bothering another it's guy. It's like a three-minute scene of, of, of a dude just trying to... Pfft. A fly off of his yeah, face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it just keeps building and building and building. It's like, what are they waiting for? It must be something big. And then they hear the train come in. Mm-hmm. And a few people get off and they suddenly disappear. And then they're like, well, where's this guy that we're looking for? And then the train pulls away and we start to hear this harmonica play. And mm-hmm. there is, there is harmonica. Our, our hero. Uh, our hero. And again, I think the interesting thing is that throughout the entire film, we don't know harmonica's name, who's played by um, Charles, Charles Bronson. Bronson. Yeah. It's kind of like the man with no name. So here mm-hmm. is this mythical hero coming to save the day, just like we see in, in uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And they're standing there, and we get another couple of minutes of these guys just doing a showdown of, you know, who sent you, who are you, mm-hmm. and then gunshots, pow, 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 like in 10 seconds. Yeah. And the, and the fight is over, and everybody's down. But then Harmonica gets up. He's only been shot in the arm. He's okay. He's fine. And everyone else is dead. <laughs> and then he goes off on his thing. And that's the opening part of this movie, which is like, whoa, how yeah. weird is that? I mean, this movie is going to be awesome if you've drawn out that that point for as long as you have. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe the film isn't as as fantastic from that point forward. I mean, there are some parts that, that I think some characters need to be developed a little bit further, like the... Um, uh, Jason Robards character, which when you see Jason Robards, many people know him from um, something wicked this way comes, which is one of my favorite movies. And Jason mm-hmm. Robards is great as the old father in this. But here he just plays an outlaw who's been kidnapped or who's been uh, arrested and they're going to send him on the train mm-hmm. back to Yuma and he escapes and he and his and his team are like uh, someone's killing in my name and that ain't right. So we're going to get down to right. the bottom of this. And Jason Robards' character is great, and Charles Bronson's character is great, and they eventually team up to help this widow uh, protect her land. Mm-hmm. But then we find out who the real bad guy is, and oh, this no. is a great oh, no. turn of force for this movie. And this is the main reason I think everyone should watch this movie, is Henry Fonda plays Frank, mm-hmm. the, 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 the bad, real guy. bad guy. Yeah, the real bad guy hired by the uh, railroad tycoon, and this guy is the worst. I mean, so bad. He shoots children. I mean, he shoots children like point blank. Yeah. Uh, kills a kid in the opening no. scene. No conscious. Uh, he, uh, there's this extended rape scene that comes off more as a uh, seduction scene. It's the swinging bed stuff. You know, when, when they kidnap her and they're trying to convince her that she needs to sell. Oh, yeah. That's, that's an extended rape scene. Yeah. And, you know, Henry Fonda is just pure evil in this Mm -hmm. movie. I mean, he is evil. And most people know him as this good guy, as this really nice good guy actor who always plays the good guy in the movies. But here it's flipped around and he can play bad like the best of them. Mm -hmm. And I think that his portrayal as the bad guy is probably the best part of this movie. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, his character was really good in the worst of the ways. Oh yeah. And, uh, especially because Peter Fonda playing that character is such out of character for him, essentially, mm-hmm. and what he's been doing before this. And, and um, that was, gosh, and that was part of my problem for this movie 
was that there was just enough characters mm-hmm. who looked just enough alike in some places that it yeah. took me some like okay wait hold on hold on hold on hold on <coughs> they're all in the room now they can't all obviously be the same person right right so let's figure this out yeah because there are like there was the train sequence where I think all three of those guys that are in or at least they're in the same space right uh, at the train station but they're yeah. all dead after after um, after he's killed well I thought um, um, Fonda and Bronson. And um, Jason Robards. Robards were when uh, there's that thing where like isn't it Robards that's jumping in and out of the windows and flushing the toilet oh, on yeah, top yeah, of the yeah. train mm-hmm, and then isn't mm-hmm. Harmonica in that scene yeah, too? Yeah, he he's tied up. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's it's. I mean, there's that was a, an, that was, that was a, really a great good scene. action sequence on the train. Is yeah. really good where um, Harmonica has been captured mm-hmm. and they're trying to ride on, but Robards in a change of heart has decided to help him. And there's this big shootout going on on top of the train inside the train. It's it's really good. It's very solid and. You know, you think some of that you're thinking, oh, is that rear screen projection? Mm-hmm. Some of it maybe is, but some of it is like maybe too on the nose that they m- might be actually shooting out the train to yeah. the the riders in the background because too many things timed out too perfectly. It was so good in that I don't remember. It was 69, so it's not It's like, probably rear projection. It probably was, but it's like it looked... Now the scene Real with good. the scenes with Robards actually hanging off the the train and shooting inside and blowing up people that's mm-hmm. got to be re- that's mm-hmm. rear screen projection, but it's it's so good that is a very good action sequence. Uh, at um, um, there is a very tense, interesting sequence where so the way this is is the rumor has gotten out that the people who have killed the the gang that has killed the landowner and his family mm-hmm. is Jason Robards' gang. And right. of course, Jason Robards is like, uh, not not my gang because they wouldn't have done it without my orders, and I don't kill kids. Mm-hmm. And besides, I've been handcuffed this entire time. Right. And there's a great scene inside of this bar and this this trading post in the middle of nowhere, which is just the setting is so cool. It kind of reminded me of um, Quentin Tarantino's uh, movie that we just saw uh, last year. Hateful Eight. Yeah, Hateful Eight, mm-hmm. where they're just in this trading post, and all this action is going on in the trading post, where it's very tense. Is Robards going to kill everyone in here? What's he going to do? Why is Harmonica uh, teasing him? Why is he uh, pushing him uh, mm-hmm. to his limit? What is wh- Who is this mysterious character? It's very intense. Uh, so that's a great scene. And then you get a scene where towards the end of the movie, uh, the railroad tycoon has had it with Frank, has had it with Henry Fonda's character, and basically is paying off the rest of Frank's gang to go and kill him. Mm-hmm. And there's a really cool shootout scene that takes place in the town where Henry Fonda is just like, oh, where are these people that are trying to kill me and who's going to help me and who's not going to help me? And it's just very, very cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's neat. And then throughout the entire piece, we hear this harmonica playing the harmonica, actually playing this harmonica that's been beat up and everything. And we don't know his story. We don't know why he is chasing Frank. Yeah, we he's don't know very, why he's intent on killing Frank. Yeah, it's very mysterious in... It really is kind of like Clint Eastwood's mm-hmm. character, especially if you watch Good, Bad, or Good, Bad, and Ugly, because that's the last one in the fist, right. uh, mm-hmm. Man With No Name trilogy. Mm-hmm. You kind of have like no idea who this dude is, right. where he's coming from, why he's so kick-ass. And then Harmonica's very the same way, because he has that cool... He like plays his own entrance music all mm-hmm. the time, which is like which is like a really great thing. <laughs> I like I like how you say that. It's his own entrance yeah, music. Yeah, yeah it's wonderful, because it has... Uh, a somewhat of a creepy vibe because yeah. it is this harmonica out in like the middle of the desert and it's like mm-hmm. no one around. It's like, it'd be really weird if you're just all of a sudden like, oh crap, there's a harmonica. Well, and it's heck? interesting too because as, you know, with the, um, um, with the uh, Maricone um, mm-hmm. or Maricone uh, soundtrack, you almost think, and this goes into diegetic and, and non-diegetic sound, is the harmonica part of the soundtrack when you first hear it? And oftentimes oh, yeah. when you hear it, you're like, is it part of the soundtrack or is that something that everyone is hearing? And then, oh, it's revealed that, oh, here's this harmonica mm-hmm. uh, guy and he's playing it. And you're like, what's his story? And so you're following that throughout the piece until you find out at the end that as a young child, um, Frank, Henry Fonda's character, uh, killed his brother mm-hmm. by putting his brother to stand on top of of Jason of um, harmonica shoulders with a noose around his neck mm-hmm. and basically said, you're going to stand there until you fall and you're going to kill your brother. And, uh, he's like, here, here's a harmonica and shoves it in the kid's mouth, mm-hmm. which causes him to lose 
his balance and fall because his hands are tied behind his back, which kills his brother and his dad's already dead. And so this is a revenge story from Harmonica's standpoint at the end when they finally yeah. have a have a shootout together. And for me, that sequence, the entire last shootout sequence, which we get this flashback in the middle of, is the best moment of the film. Because you have this mm-hmm. whole it's chase been that's been going that. this yeah. whole time. You have really no idea why they're going. This is finally like, all right. You get to that moment, I was like, oh, I bet we're going to have uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly shootout at the mm-hmm, end, right? Mm-hmm. And so the guys are getting ready, and they're, like, spinning their guns and, like, chucking it and all doing all sorts of cowboy stuff. And then you get this great flashback where, you know, you get him shoving the harmonica into his mouth, and mm-hmm. he's, like, trying so hard to keep his brother alive. Because, I mean, if he can just stay in there forever, yeah, yeah. his brother's going to be fine. Yeah. Obviously, that's, well, like, not going to be possible. Right. Um, because it's already he's already standing on his toes trying yeah. to keep his brother high enough so that he's not choking to death. Right. And so, man, and that was just such a good moment. And it, it was it played out perfectly because you get all of the good lead yeah. up uh, uh, Leone's stuff. And then you you break it when it's just about to go too long. It's like they should just be shooting each mm-hmm. other already. You get a good flashback. I mean, again, it takes a couple of minutes, but it works so well to kind of set up why these people hate each other, or especially why Harmonica hates him, and you come back and boom, 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 boom. Yeah, yeah. Done. Yeah. And then, you know, the thing we haven't talked about is is uh, Jill McBain, who has arrived into town. She's the former prostitute mm-hmm. who has come here. She married this guy and has come here to, she thinks he's the richest man around, and she comes here and he's in the middle. I mean, the house is nice. It's a big, big, big yeah, house. Big house. But uh, it's the middle of nowhere, and she's like, oh, my gosh. She can't, she, I mean, she comes the day of the funeral. Of the whole family. And then she spends the night kind of tearing the place apart, looking for all this money. She's like, what have I gotten into? And she's ready to just turn around and go home. Mm -hmm. And people convince her to stay, that it's important that you stay because this land is important for something. And then as the story builds out, we find out it's because of the water rights, which is really, I mean, the water rights as the core part of this story is like mind-blowing, right? What, what? Usually it's like, oh, there's an old gold mine that no one knows well, about. That's or what there's they were doing oil under the ground. It's like, obviously this dude has some stash of right. money, and that's why they killed him. It's like all tearing through the house and yeah. trying to find everything, and they can't find it. Wasn't that Chinatown over water rights? Chinatown was over water, water rights, rights, yeah. I was mm-hmm. like, that's something I've seen before that has like a weird premise. Like, yeah, it's yeah. a really great movie. It's like, what? Water? Yeah. Whatever. Well, I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere. You yeah, gotta, I mean, it's a big gotta, deal. Like, you, gotta, you need water. People need water. The trains need water in order to move. That's how their, that's how their boilers work. Yeah. And so um, she just wants to get out and she wants to get as much money as she can. And of course, the railroad doesn't want to pay hardly any money. So they basically coerce her into um, selling her property cheap. And by doing this... Um, you know, Henry, uh, Henry Fonda's character kidnaps her and it is a rape scene. I mean, it's like it's a love scene, supposedly love. in this really weird bed that's swinging from the from the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And he's basically telling her, hey, if you want to live, you're going to do what I tell you to do, which mm-hmm. includes sex and also selling the land for like 50 Nothing. bucks or 100 bucks or something. Yeah. Which, you know, even the town sheriff is like, I really don't feel comfortable selling it at this piece. Mm-hmm. But it's Frank. You know, uh, the the head of the railroad that he's working with is a guy that has had, uh, what is it, polio, I mm-hmm. think, or t- uh, t- tuberculosis or something. Basically, yeah. he's he's basically not paralyzed from the neck down uh, because he can move, but he can't walk very easily. No. And so he's got this elaborate rig inside the train to where he's hanging on to things so he can walk around. He's using crutches. And Frank just sees him as a nobody, even though he's known him basically his whole life. Mm-hmm. And so he plots to buy the land so he can get rich mm-hmm. and sell it to the railroad because his friend that he's known since they came over on the ship together, his friend's been rich all the time and he's had nothing. And it feels like this is his turn to turn it around. And that at which point the um, owner of the railroad, Morton is like, mm-hmm. no, go kill him, get rid of him. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just such a, and it's such a dynamic, cool that, story. That scene of Frank trying to get her to sell the land at a really cheap price is really great because everyone's like, this is insane. Like, why would you yeah, yeah. sell the land so cheap? Yeah. And then in comes Harmonica's like, boom, $5,000. Yeah. And like, right. someone kill him right now. Yeah, every, yeah, so yeah. Frank's like, kill him, kill him. Yeah. Because, uh, because Frank's shown up with all of his posse people. And every time someone gets ready to bid on it, mm-hmm. someone's pushing them down and saying, you don't need to bid. You don't. Yeah, need. Yeah, so yeah. it's like really rigged. And the only way that Harmonica has $5,000 is Jason Robard's character, Cheyenne, mm. has a bounty out on him. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Harmonica's like, I'm turning this man in. I want my reward, and that's how I'm going to pay 
for this land. Mm -hmm. It's not really clear if the sale was ever completed. I mean, you know, because technically Harmonica owns the land and not uh, McBain's uh, wife. Um, Yeah, McBain. Every time I hear that, I think McBain from Simpsons. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. He's the Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, okay. Uh, but at one point, Cheyenne, before the before this auction takes place, I know we're jumping all over in the story, but before the auction takes place, Cheyenne and Harmonica are out there, and, and this huge delivery has been made of wood and nails and all these things. Oh, yeah. And they're like, and, and uh, Mrs. McBain can't figure out what it's all for. But then at the then we get flashback to the beginning of the movie where she's tearing the house apart looking for stuff. She keeps mm-hmm. coming across all these little models, mm-hmm. a little church, a little store, a station. Mm-hmm. That's the model for the town. Mm-hmm. And then they find out that, oh, we have to build this town before we have to have a station in place before the railroad gets here. And for some reason, I've conflated this this movie with another movie because I could have sworn in another movie. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was this one, but I thought that the railroad was like driving people ahead so fast that they were working super fast and the train was chugging as the the builders were <laughs> trying to build the station oh, yeah. uh, as quickly as they can. But apparently that's not in this movie. I must be thinking of something else. Um, but, you know, um, Cheyenne use, gets his boys to start mm-hmm. building the station so that, yes, by the time McBain's wife comes back to her homestead and by the time the train is rolling up, the station is complete. Yeah, She's got the land. Got She's going to be very, very rich. Going. And uh, Harmonica has killed Frank, and Cheyenne and Harmonica go to right off in the distance. Except somehow during the gunfight, uh, Cheyenne got uh, got shot. Got shot. I think he actually pulled the trigger and shot Frank. Oh, interesting. I think so. I think he helped. Oh. That's my theory. Okay. Because That's how else theory. would he get shot? Or, or no, maybe it's a stray bullet because Frank fires and then he starts to turn and then he fires again, I think. And I think there's a stray bullet that hit Cheyenne somehow. I don't know how oh. he got. I don't know how he got shot and wounded. I can't remember now. Yeah, yeah. And you know, jumping around talking about this movie is almost how you have to do it because you don't understand. This movie is so long. Yeah, it is. It's really, but it's really, really so long. It, but it, it, and you have to like talk through a bunch of stuff, and mm-hmm. you remember like, oh yeah, like after eight minutes of like watching someone nail something. And then you're like, oh yeah, this thing happened and this thing happened because it's, it's so sprawling yeah, and like there's really so many like sequences. things that weave yeah. in and out of each other that really come together at the end mm-hmm. that you have to like, oh yeah, you have to like jog your memory about right, everything right. that happened. The the original cut of the movie, 168 minutes long, two hours forty six minutes is how long it was uh, originally. They cut that down for the U.S. release to uh, two hours and 25 minutes. But mm. the version that you can get now on iTunes, I'm guessing is the version that we watched, mm. is the full 200 or two hours and 45 minutes, mm. which I call like five hours. Yeah. It feels like it, just because it's a very slow-paced movie. Yeah, and that's and that's all it is. It's like Leonin gives this space for it to breathe and to just happen. It's not a movie that is... Wants to really like chug ahead. Mm-hmm. It wants to take its time to mm-hmm. lay out all of these pieces mm-hmm. and then just let it happen. And there is something nice about that. It does get very long, and you're kind of wondering when are we going to get to the next thing. Right, right. But it always does get to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's and it's like this hint. It's like this bad thing and this good thing about the film because there is something very different about this movie than if you were to watch like an, a modern Western where it's just, right. if, if a modern Western was this long, it would be like impossible to watch because it would be so fast and just doing, trying to do yeah. so much. But this movie does a lot, but it gives itself enough room mm-hmm. to accomplish that. It doesn't hit every note perfectly. There is some character stuff that you wish could be pushed farther or mm-hmm. some things that could just be thrown out. But ultimately it does take up that space in a in, in a good fashion. Right. So in the Dollars trilogy, you know, things move very quickly. In this, it moves very slow. Mm-hmm. And um, it is somewhat intentional because we saw in, uh, what was the first one that we watched? Um, Wild Bunch? The Wild Bunch, yeah. right? That one is talking about, you want to know what violence is like. Mm-hmm. Here's violence, right? Mm-hmm. Here's violence. And we will draw the violence out, even shoot it in super slow motion. Yeah. Right? In uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, it's like, hey, look how fun it is to be a bad guy. Yeah. Air quotes, yeah. right? Air quotes. In uh, Easy Rider, it's like, well, you can be an outlaw, but 
and you can do cool outlaw things, but you kind of have to look and see what's around you. And eventually your quote unquote crimes are going to catch up with you Mm -hmm. in midnight cowboy. It's like, let's take a look at what this idea of cowboy and masculinity really means in once upon a time in the West, Sergio Leone isn't, isn't really interested in showing you violence. He's, he's wanting to show you everything that leads up to violence. Mm -hmm. What are these moments? I mean, think about that opening train station sequence. The moments before someone dies, the minutes before someone dies, maybe the hour before someone dies, what are they doing? Mm -hmm. You know, are they doing something heroic? Are they doing something cool? Are they doing something adventurous? No. One guy's sitting under a water tower with water dripping on his head. Another guy's worried about a fly. The, the train station guy has been locked into the safe. Nothing exciting. I mean, this is a boring life. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, pow, 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 violence is over. Off we go. In the f- closing sequence, it's almost the same way. Here's this big, long buildup of these guys casually walking, which, you know, really, if someone's going to kill you in this day and age, you just pull out the gun and kill somebody. Just shoot you, them right you, don't, now. you don't agree to, to let's walk to this side of the house. Yeah. Let's, you know, walk at 20 paces. Mm-hmm. Let's have this final conversation with one another. You just get it over with. But Leone seems to be really interested in what's going on before the violence. What led to this? What is going on? So we do have these really long periods of things that seem rather dull, but they're also building that tension in the movie, which makes it super fascinating to mm-hmm. watch, even though it is a little long. Mm-hmm. And that's that's this weird trade-off that you have to go with this movie is, I personally think it's brilliant. This movie is really brilliant in, in how it executes everything. But I also hate it because it's like, ugh, I got to yeah. sit and watch this three-hour movie again. Mm-hmm. And it's so long. And it's like, uh, I know what's coming up next. But each time I watch it, I'm like, noticing these little other nuanced things that happen with it. So it's, it, as you said, it's both good and bad yeah. in what you get and with ugly. this movie. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I think the point Actually, of it. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I need to go and look. You go <laughs> ahead and talk because okay. I'm, almost, I'm almost positive that ugly plays the guy with the with the white beard on the train that gets shot. Oh, okay. I'm almost positive he is in this movie. Yeah, I was going to say is uh, an interesting thing you bring up that Leone shows the lead up to violence because that's something um I I guess is a, is a great way to put this entire movie because in that and that's what makes it so much unlike of current modern action film because I would mm-hmm. definitely say this is an action film mm-hmm. um, but now you get you know four seconds of backstory 15 minute fight sequence five seconds to like oh no my friend died another 18 minutes of like slow motion whipped mm-hmm. camera around action in, in this it's you get an hour of exposition <laughs> and then half a second of someone shooting a gun right, right, right. Um, which is uh, which is a, a really different way of going about you know in, in you know any violence and it is definitely um a nice change of pace yeah i would also say that uh, beginning train station uh, battle has one of the best lines in the movie where harmonica is talking to the three three guys that are sent there to kill him and i think harmonica asks how many horses did you bring? Oh, right, right. And they're like, oh, we brought three. And he goes, that's too, too many. And it's like, <laughs> boom, boom, taking your horses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, Eli Wallach, who played um, uh, Tuco in uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, was not in, oh, okay. in this movie. But as I'm scrolling through his IMDb page, I cannot believe I didn't know this. He played Mr. Freeze in the Batman TV series in 1966. Whoa. Well, actually, in two episodes in 1967, but... Whoa. Ah, uh, wow. And I've got that entire collection sitting out there that I have not Oh, my watched, gosh. So. He would... So that they did that in 67. Yeah. That was, like, the same time... Yeah. As Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah, yeah. What a weird transition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really. really. <laughs> That's wonderful. So what did you think about... Um, what did you think about the, I mean, we talked about the pacing and that ties mm-hmm. back into editing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but what did you think of shot selection, composition? Because one of the things that I notice is, you know, Sergio Leone knows how to fill a frame. I think mm-hmm. I even tweeted that the night I was watching it a couple of weeks ago in that oftentimes when we talk about the Sergio, Sergio Leone shot, we talk about this extreme close up where the eyes fill the shot. But if you, again, watch that opening sequence or watch the stuff that takes place at the trading post. Mm-hmm. You're working with a very wide format, and yet he places things exactly where they need to be mm-hmm. so that your eyes are drawn through the entire shot. And every 
it's almost like every piece has a purpose for being in there, which you should always do, right? Yeah, and sure. we, uh, we were talking before we started recording about uh, some photography that you did. And even though photography is not video and it's not movies, yeah. photography still ha- has the same principles that apply. Mm-hmm. Composition, framing, lighting, exposure, all this stuff has to go into it. And so when you're shooting your, your shot, you were doing some restaurant stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the placement of those plates, the placements of the menus and everything is important in that shot. So that you get the message across that you need, so that mm-hmm. you create the mood, the atmosphere, and everything in that one little single frame. Mm-hmm. And Leone does that too, and just is happy to let the action play out in that wider shot. But it just fills the fl- frame so gloriously that you just got to sit there and marvel mm-hmm. at his composition techniques. And you can understand instantly when you watch this movie. And I think this movie more so than The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, or Fistful of Dollars, or A few, do- few Dollars More. I think watching this movie, I think you really get the sense of why Quentin Tarantino is so enamored with Leone's Mm -hmm. work because this is just like, oh my gosh, just look at how it's, it's set up. Mm -hmm. It's just so good from the love. I think watching Leone do this and watch him frame step. I mean, I really think that opening train sequence is just Mm -hmm. phenomenal. I would put it down as one of my favorite sequences of all time. I would definitely put it in my top 20 favorite sequences. Oh really? Yeah. It it was more so than Indiana Jones. I mean, I mean, Indiana Jones uh, stealing the Covenant of the Ark from the Nazi sequence mm-hmm. in Raiders of the Lost Ark is great and is much better than this one. Uh, but it was those two movies. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the sequences in that in that top twenty favorite sequences. Yeah, in in watching how he just just orchestrates this, and especially because the crazy thing is, I still actually haven't watched Hateful Eight. I've mm-hmm. been like super like ah, you know Quentin Tarantino. It's like I'll get to it when I get right, to right, it, right. you know. Um, but definitely watching this. And listening to the score, mm-hmm. the composer did the same uh, on this mm-hmm. as Hateful Eight. Yeah. He actually won his first Oscar, which yeah. was just crazy because it's like I, his scores for this. And I know. I think, they so were good. Unapp- I think they were unappreciated at the time because, again, this movie still falls under the category of Spaghetti Western. Yeah, yeah, Right? Yeah. Uh, good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Spaghetti Western. And uh, it's just this throwaway movie that mm-hmm. no one cares about, but it turns out to be something even bigger than anyone thought. Right. And I think that, uh, you know, I think it was just a lot of throwaway stuff. People didn't really give a credit. And to be honest, in the cut version, the edited version that was released in the United States when uh, Once Upon a Time in the West was uh, first uh, released, audiences panned it. Nobody really liked this movie. And again, yeah. it wasn't until afterwards that people start to appreciate it. And once certain sequences are added back in, and then, of course, now today when we're able to see the full, not the full director's cut, but we're able to see the original theatrical release of 168, mm-hmm. then you start to really appreciate what is going on here. Yeah, and I, I and watching Leone work makes me now want to watch Tarantino based on everything you've said on that and what yeah. I've read about Hateful Eight, about how he can just put yeah, all yeah. this thing in there because you're shooting it so wide yeah. and have this huge you know, frame to work with. Yeah. And it's definitely something I want to see now. It's going to be different because it's going to be so wide, and then it's going to be like this, but violent of the Wild Bunch, probably yeah. like turned up to eleven well, with probably like yeah, crazy. Yeah, I mean it editing. is. So, like, um, for example, a little bit of a spoiler. That's fine. In uh, how the West was won, um, Cheyenne is trying to psych out one of the guys that one of the bad guys that are on the train. Because you think that he's hanging off the side of the train and his boot is hanging in oh, the window yeah. and his boots kind of just tapping into so the glass. Awesome. And the guy's like, aha, I've got you now. And he's getting ready to shoot up. But instead, we find out that Cheyenne has really been hanging over upside down with his gun inside the boot. And he pulls the trigger and, and kills the guy. Mm-hmm. You see a little bit of blood there, right? Mm-hmm. In, um, in the uh, Hateful Eight... Someone gets shot in the head and you see the head explode. I can only imagine. And the ending of the movie is just a bloody violent massacre of everyone killing everyone yeah. kind of thing. So you are going to run into that as, as contrast. But again, when you go and see a, a Quentin Tarantino movie, right. you know that it's going to be brilliantly yeah. shot, brilliantly edited, but it's also going to be grotesquely violent. Mm-hmm. Meaning, and by grotesque, I don't mean uh, disgusting or turn off, but just overabundance beyond what you would normally expect. Mm-hmm. And that's what you get in, in the hateful eight. But you watch that opening sequence of the, um, stagecoach coming through this mountain pass in hateful eight. And you're just sitting there for that first couple of minutes, just going, Whoa. And of course, if you watch it on a big screen, oh, yeah. you even get that, that impact even mm-hmm. more. So it's definitely something I think you should, you should watch. Yeah. I'm definitely, very m- much more interested in watching it now. 
And I, I think it was just like everyone told me, it's like, this is Tarantino's most violent film. I'm like, that's absurd. Even like, more, have you even it's even seen? more so than Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, Inglorious Bastards, watching them just like beat people's faces in. Yeah. Um, Kill Bill was super violent. I mean, Pulp Fiction was violent. Django was like incredibly violent. Like, I was like, I didn't think I could get more than that. Yeah, but, it seems like, like Quentin Tarantino is just like, you know, just keeps ratcheting it up as like, I don't care. You know, I just, I'll just keep doing it until someone that's, tells me it's too much and then I'll keep doing it. And he's kind of given carte blanche to do whatever he wants. Yeah. I mean, and so if he wants to whatever. have people's heads blowing off or, you know, there's a scene where an old guy's just sitting in a, in a chair and he just, they just blow him away on, on the screen. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting, but you yeah. really need to watch it. I mean, yeah. you, if you like this movie, if you like the good, the bad and the ugly, I think you will have a big appreciation for hateful eight mm-hmm. for what it is. Because it is a, it is kind of this homage to the Leone style of westerns. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it is nice watching all of these sixty stuff because it's definitely. I mean, as we know, it's Quentin Tarantino. He is just takes styles mm-hmm. from different mm-hmm. different genres yeah, he, and no, he throws them into he it. Steals. Okay, he, yeah, that's true. And he, he steals. He, it. he admits. <laughs> yeah. He admits that he steals elements yeah. and plot points and different things from all these different. Yeah, people. and especially when he makes it uh, visually. And so, you know, watching these um, beforehand would definitely, you know, make it a, probably a better experience because that's essentially what he's trying to do. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like, like watch my film and I'll go watch the 15 films that I took my film from, yeah, just yeah. put them together. And it's then almost like a condensed, it's like a convinced, condensed uh, film school when you watch uh, a Quentin Tarantino film. Yeah. I mean, it really, I mean, if you watch them, it's almost it like, is. you know, it's like, this ties nicely into the conversation that we had last week. And I'm sorry, listeners, if you were expecting a conversation last week oh, about, uh, once upon a time in the West. <laughs> and instead you got a long discussion about how awesome stranger things were and how Netflix works and all that television stuff. But for real stranger things, but for real yeah. stranger things. <laughs> <are> awesome. <laughs> but the nice thing, and we talked about this, the cool thing about stranger things is it is this, it's this love Mm-hmm. poem to all these great films of the late seventies and early eighties that these guys are stealing shot. I mean, literally they're stealing shots from, I mean, yeah. there's this scene where, um, um, what's his name? The, the, the guy that runs the Institute, uh, Matthew Modine's character yeah. where he's walking and he's putting on this suit. And I think it's in the first episode or second episode where he's putting on this, um, um, containment suit mm-hmm. and you see he's got something in his pocket or something's jangling around well you watch et and there's a shot in there where jangly keys man he's not named in the movie so everyone yeah. just calls him jangly keys man it's an exact shot for that well i don't remember which one of our listeners tweeted us that video yeah, there's someone a video on vimeo. vimeo it's yeah. like holy crap it's like they are literally i mean there's so many shots it's like oh okay well that's where that was from that was that's where we're from and that is tarantino style like yeah. he's mm-hmm. he's unabashed about it he takes these shots and themes mm-hmm. and how he does it and he just runs with him. He just makes him more kind of his thing. Mm-hmm. But they're definitely. I mean, they, he literally took the composer from this movie <laughs> yeah. to do the <laughs> to yeah, do yeah, eight yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Like it's not much different. The 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 Stranger Things video is called "References to Seventies and Eighties Movies in Stranger Things," and you can find it on Vimeo. And the nice thing about Vimeo is, if the creator allows it, you can actually download those videos in whatever resolution oh, yeah. they uploaded it. So I've already downloaded this, and I've oh, got nice. it here in HD. So. That's that's one nice thing about Vimeo. So good job, Vimeo. Um, I say watch this movie for no other reason than to see Henry Fonda play the worst villain you have ever seen in your life, and not a not a mustache twirling villain, not a Bond villain, but someone who is just truly evil. It is a mesmerizing because he's got these steely blue eyes that everyone knows Henry Fonda for, and he's got this kind face. But he is evil, and I yep. say this is the main reason to watch this movie. In addition to Sergio Leone's great uh, uh, shot selection with his DP and everything, and I realize directors don't necessarily choose shots, but Sergio right. Leone, we will attribute that to him. Sure, and, and I would say watch this movie, the entirety of it, if you liked the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think if you like that film and can handle Leone's style, then you will watch this and you will enjoy it. If you don't like that movie and you don't want to watch this movie for three hours, watch the opening 10 minutes, yeah. watch with the last 15 minutes, mm-hmm. and you'll probably see some of the best chunks of the film. Besides that train sequence, because the train sequence yeah. is really, really good. Uh, but those opening and closing things are phenomenal. Yeah, it's really good. And I, I don't know. I mean, some people say this is their favorite movie all time. I know when I watched this originally years and years ago, I had tweeted about it or mentioned something on social media. And someone responded, yes, I watch this movie every single year at Christmas because it's one of my favorite movies to watch. Mm-hmm. And I can see, I can really see how some people like this movie that much. I also can see how people are like, 
when it gets so long and when you have to draw things out, because the environment, I mean, somebody asked the other day what, you know, um, oh, I heard you guys do a top five on the top uh, five uh, good things about Kansas or whatever mm-hmm. that we did. You weren't involved in that, I don't no, think. That's fine. And it's probably a good thing because you'd be fired from your uh, your job as a... Uh, I should probably know as a, a, uh, so much more about Kansas now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, but someone said, you know, is it really worth visiting? And it's like, no. It's not. I mean, should I really come to Kansas? No, should really I should, should I should I plan a, a trip to Kansas? And I was like, no. And he goes, but you had all these great things to say. And every time you guys talk about the university or the city that you live in, you have nothing but good things to say and how, mm. how fun it is. Living in Kansas is like a Sergio Leone movie. It's like <laughs> Once Upon a Time in the West. There are these moments where everything is brilliant. A mm-hmm. beautiful sunrise, a beautiful sunset, the largest ball of twine in the world. The largest hand dug well. What is, it? What is uh, the the castle the, rock? The, the barbed wire fence museum. The barbed wire fence <laughs> museum. There's all these little wonderful things about Kansas, hmm. but in order to see all of these wonderful things, you have to spend a long, quiet time getting from one place to yeah. another, and yeah. that's what I mean. Kansas is the. I mean, once upon a time in the West is a, a great alleg- allegory for. For Kansas, because mm-hmm. it's these great moments of brilliance throughout the state that are wonderful and you'll love every moment of them. Yeah. But there's also just this very slow, quiet pace mm-hmm. of everything that goes on. Yeah, that is a really good analogy for what Kansas is, because there are um, like amazing things about Kansas. Yeah. I, I think like the yeah. cosmosphere. Yeah, the cosmosphere like, you're not going to find that stuff anywhere in the world. But well, except at NASA. Well, I mean, they have all the NASA <laughs> original stuff like lunar modules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People yeah. Are, in, are in Kansas. Uh, but you're right. If you live, especially where we live, like Hutchison is two, a two and away. a half drive. Yeah. Especially if you take back roads, it's mm-hmm. like, well, there's nothing here. Mm-hmm. And you go all and these other great places. To to Denver, and many, many of our listeners have traveled through Kansas to get to Denver. Sure. And that last third of the state is, that's the area we live in. Yeah. We love it here. But that last third of the state is just is, is really brutal. boring. Especially when you have to do like the first third of Colorado right after it. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah, super yeah. boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that is that Kansas. There's these great moments. And especially in this movie, but there's these long, if you want to watch the whole thing, mm-hmm. the great thing about movies is that you can just fast forward. You can't <laughs> fast forward when you're driving <laughs> is that you can enjoy these things, but you probably have a better appreciation for them if you take that time and wait two mm-hmm. and a half hours before yeah. you get that great harmonica flashback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It'd be a fun game to play. Like what quality of each state is each movie? <laughs> like not like what movie is based in that no, state. No, no, no. But- like what movie... Well, yeah, the, state. you know, the Sweetwater would be the largest hand dug well in the state of Kansas, right? Because yeah. it, there's your water thing. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. You know, this um, uh, this hole in the rock thing where they go and have that weird sexual encounter. That would be Topeka. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, it's just this awful place. <laughs> this awful place where nothing good happens. <laughs> That's really funny if you're from Kansas. <laughs> uh, but I, overall... As long as this movie is, and I and I and I enjoy it, and I appreciate it, uh, I still have to give this a thumbs up because the more I talk about it, the more excited I get about it. Is that the weird thing? I think like when we talked about it yesterday, I was like, yeah. man, that movie was okay. Yeah, it was just all right. You right? give you give it a week though, when you talk about it. Yeah, and this movie's wonderful. It is. It really is wonderful, and I feel sorry for some people who decided not to watch this movie uh, because they're missing out. I really think people are missing out. And here's the other thing. This movie is part of a trilogy of movies. So while you have the Dollars trilogy, oh, no. you also have the Once Upon a Time trilogy. And There's so I didn't know that there were three of them. It's oh. called The Duck You Sucker. And it's about the <laughs> um, uh, the Spanish, not the Spanish-American War, but it's about the uh, Mexico, uh, Mexico-Spain Mexico um, War uh, okay. for their independence. And it's supposed to be real good. I've never seen it before. I didn't know that it was part of the is trilogy. It by it's by Leone. Duck uh, You Sucker? Duck You Sucker. What a weird title. Yeah, yeah. I think it's supposed to be something else. But, I can imagine. But the other one that I would really recommend you check out, Zach, is at, if you like this movie, certainly go see uh, Hateful Eight. Yeah. But you really, really ought to see Once Upon a Time in America. Once Upon a Time in America follows these two friends as they immigrate to the United States as young boys and as they rise up through the ranks mm-hmm. of um, the mafia. And That's so weird. It is really good because it's got Robert De Niro in it. It's got Pacino in it. It's basically really? like a very different take on The Godfather almost. It's really, really good. Man, that seems such like a weird shift to I me. I think it's, it's like got I've Joe Pesci in it. Leone do these two westerns, which are these iconic 
Western movies. And you're like, you know what he also did? He also did a mafia movie. I'm like, that'd be like, you know what and George it, Lucas I mean, it, always I mean, it starts in like the 1920s and goes oh, to man. the 1970s. It's like you told me, like, George Lucas, he also did a rom-com. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. He Why? Also, he also did uh, a Howard the Duck. <laughs> yeah, Once Upon a Time in, the, in America uh, stars Robert De Niro, James Woods, Elizabeth McGovern, Joe Pesci, Burt Young, Tuesday Well, Treat Williams, Danny Aiello. I thought it had uh, what's his name in it, but I guess it doesn't. But uh, man, if you want to see a good mafia movie that really explores like a large generation of of uh, of time, mm-hmm. it's only a hundred. Let's see, what is it? It is three hours. Oh, this is the five. Is it, it three one? hours? It's three hours and forty nine minutes. Oh, it is definitely worth breaking into two oh parts because God. there is a different part of here's when we're young, yeah, and then the second half is here's when we're old. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's so worth watching. That's so long. But it's, it's three hours and forty. That's longer minutes. than been heard. I think we should watch it for next week. <laughs> uh, no, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna not do an epically long. One so next let me week. ask you a question then. Yeah. What have you learned about watching all of these we- quote unquote westerns that were released in 1969? Uh, the The Wild Bunch. Yeah. Uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Midnight yeah. Cowboy. Um, uh, Easy Rider and Once Upon a Time in the West. I think I'm classifying them all as westerns or this cowboy theme. Uh, well, yeah, going through. I, I definitely think the theme that I like, and especially if you look at the western specifically, and they're definitely in Midnight Cowboy, Easy Rider as well, is that what I what I never really liked about the western movies is mm-hmm. how confident all these people were in mm-hmm. who they were like we are the good guys we right, right. will last forever right right <laughs> we're better right, than you right. you probably some racist word <laughs> and then when you get the in these movies from 69 is guys that have like a strong faith in who they are mm-hmm. but realize like I'm not going to be able to live this way yeah, my yeah. the rest of my life like I'm either going to stay this, I'm going to be and just like non-important to the rest of mm-hmm. the story, mm-hmm. or I'm going to have to adapt and change and do something else. And I like that they have to figure this out of, oh, I can't be this person that I thought I was because I'm not going to survive. There's no place for me right. in this new world if I keep with these same ideas on how I should live my life and what's the best way to live my life. Mm-hmm. I really liked that weird angst that wasn't, like in the so forefront they be always black and mascara. Yeah. I mean, I guess like, <laughs> th- like that's what that was in the 69 is like, that's right. what they were putting in these movies. And cause they were taking this big, I mean, the American cowboy is like mm-hmm. the thing, right? right, like, right. That's like the most American thing yeah. ever. And then they were showing like, yeah, but America's not that anymore. Mm-hmm. And this, these people can't be that anymore. Cause that life is no longer really a viable option in this new world that we live in. And, you know, you're talking about space travel and Vietnam and the war and like all of these things were happening in the country and they they put it into such an iconic American character, I think made Westerns really good. I mean, we even watched, we've watched, I think surprisingly you think about it, like a lot of Westerns. We have. And that's the one thing. And again, when (laughs) when this series started, I was like, Man, you know, when I was young, I really hated Westerns. Yeah. And then something tripped in my mind, and I think it was somewhere around um, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, where it just made sense. And yeah. as I've started to explore them more, it's actually kind of a fun genre to explore. But you have to be – I think you have to be very selective when you look at Westerns. Because yeah. if you're looking at stuff and you think Westerns are only John Wayne, then, yeah, you're probably going to be very spoiled and turned off by the Western. Mm-hmm. Um, because of what – I mean – and again, this will probably make a lot of people angry. But what John Wayne represents, if you watch like interviews with John Wayne where he's talking about equality or you see him talking yeah. and, you know, his dealings with actors who were, quote unquote, communist sim- sympathizers. Right. Yeah, we talked about that. He's a real dick. So that mm-hmm. can really spoil your your view on the Western and your enjoyment of the Western, mm-hmm. especially when it's always the good guy wins and rides off into the sunset with the girl. Good guy doesn't always win. And mm-hmm. we see that in these movies where the heroes that we like or the. I shouldn't say heroes, the protagonists mm-hmm. of these stories more often than not die. Cheyenne dies. Um, the wild bunch dies. Uh, easy rider dies. Mm-hmm. I mean, Peter Fonda, Henry Fonda <laughs> in, yeah, yeah. in this. So Peter Fonda dies in easy rider. Uh, Ratso Rizzo dies in midnight cowboy. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
you know, life is not always great. Mm -hmm. And I think when you explore those kinds of Westerns, I think you find some very interesting things. Now, there is a movie, a John Wayne movie that came out in 69, which we haven't watched, which is True Grit, which a lot of people say that's a huge turnaround for John Wayne as far as his portrayal of cowboys. Mm -hmm. I would, my personal opinion is don't watch that version of True Grit. Grit. Watch the Coen Brothers version of True Grit because I think that one is much, much better. Mm. That's just my opinion. Other people can use the comment section at Majorspoilers.com and uh, agree or disagree on that. But that's another Western that came out in 69 that we didn't that we didn't look at here. Mm -hmm. I'd be more than happy to do it if you want to continue on this Western theme. But um, I think you're right in that here we are really taking a different approach to what's it mean to be a cowboy? What does it mean to be a man? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be? And again, if we think about what the, these movies are representing, times they are a changing for all of these right. characters, right? What's going on in 69? The times they are a changing, mm-hmm. right? So not only are the cowboys and the westerns reevaluating their place in the 1800s, but here we have people 50 years later, 60 years later, whatever it is, um, yeah, 80 years later in, mm-hmm. in the 1960s, also questioning, what's my place in this world? Right. And I would imagine that if you jump forward another... 60 years, another generation, you would see right around now a lot of other movies that are popping up where people are really questioning their place in this really weird changing world. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's what I really liked uh, about this entire chunk of 69. It was, it was a, a, a quality, a quality year for film, Stephen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a, a lot of good ones that yeah, came there are. out. There are some really bad ones that came well, out. Well, we're not going to watch those, though. So I'm no, going to think that 69 was a great list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure, and if I double check, I'm pretty sure that all the movies that we have watched in the 69 series uh, are all on the on the list. Not on my list, but on, on the, the on the not on the top, not on my 100 list, but on the government's uh, yeah, yeah. list of um, uh, films that Dope belong movies. on the Preservation Society stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, certainly. Or uh, the Historical Registry or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so. Go. Um, yeah, next week, uh, we'll, we won't be in 69. We'll figure out something else, but yeah. that, that's a mystery listeners. It's it a is. mystery. But in the meantime, head over to majorspoilers.com where you can find this podcast posting page and give your thoughts on is, is true grit with John Wayne really that good? Or any, <laughs> if you've watched once upon a time in the West, giving your thoughts about that film there or anything we talked about on this podcast episode while you're there, click on that amazon.com link where you can buy a new case for your iPhone seven. Wow. wow you lucky. Um, when you use that link, it's not going to cost you any extra, but a little bit will come back to major spoilers so we can keep podcasts like this coming up each and every week right into your podcast playing device. Steven, tell about the Patreon. Oh, Patreon, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to see it continued or you got some kind of an enjoyment out of it, you're like, wow, I feel like I have, have stolen from these people by listening <laughs> to this fine content. Yeah. I real feel like I should pay them something for this, this weekly entertainment that we've sure. been doing week after week. You can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash major spoilers. You can sign up for a set amount like the 2, 5, 10, 25, or 40. Uh, those come with specific rewards. Or you might be some be like some of our uh, fine patrons who are like, you know what, you guys deserve $100 a month Whoa. for the work that you do. Some people might be saying, well, you know, I get enjoyment out of this, but I think it's only worth one or two dollars a month. Oh, That's like perfectly okay. Four fifty. What's the cost of a movie ticket? Sign up for six dollars and seventy-two cents. <laughs> That's what you can do for a movie yeah. matinee, and you can support this show for an entire month. Head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers. Thank you for that. And next week we will be back with more movie talk on Zach on Film. This podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.